Welcome, Valley family. This is the conclusion to our series, week number four uh, in our series called Chase the Lion, uh, based on the book by Pastor Mark Batterson. And I encourage you, this great summer reading, to pick up a copy of this. Uh, I think it'll really challenge you and inspire you as well. Uh, and, and really, it's based on uh, one particular character in the Bible that we've been looking at for the last three weeks, one of King David's mighty men named Beniah. Uh, we're going to shift a little bit. This is Father's Day weekend, uh, and we're going to look at actually another one. One of David's mighty men that, that was in the elite three, the top three that he had. Beniah was like number four. Uh, and, and really apply it. I'm going to speak to the, the dads especially, but I think this will be fitting for everyone, uh, especially uh, if you have a dream. I think we all have a dream, uh, a dream that, that hopefully God's put that dream in our hearts. And so I want to talk about how to fight for your dream, how to fight for your dream. You know, the chances are you have some gifts and you have some abilities that God has given to you that you're completely unaware of until in reality a difficult situation comes into your life. And then all of a sudden it reveals uh, perhaps a talent or an ability that you never thought you ever had before. And that's the case with David's mighty men. They were regular guys, but they stood with David when he was running for his life, when King Saul was trying to kill him. King Saul, he's sleeping on satin sheets, you know, silk sheets and all this. Uh, and, and his soldiers are eating wonderful food. David is living in caves and eating bugs and things like that. But it was at this time that these men began to gather around David, and they began to gather. They were the misfits. They were the rejects. But there was one purpose, one dream that they had in their life, and that was to see King David on the throne of Israel. That was the dream that they had. And all these different incredible uh, exploits that we read about uh, here in 2 Samuel chapter 23 that they did, it all was a means to an end. And the means to an end was to fulfill the dream that God had really put in their heart. And that was that King David would be on the throne of Israel. And so they went through some difficult times, but uncovered in their own lives some incredible abilities and talents that they didn't even know were there. See, the fact about the matter is many times in your life and my life, our destiny is revealed by our disadvantages. Our destiny is actually revealed by our disadvantages. You say, well, I don't have this. I don't have that. Well, you know what? That might just be the cause for you to develop incredible gifts and abilities that God has given to you and placed within you because of what you don't have instead of what you do have. Uh, let me give you an example of my own life. When I was in eighth grade, uh, an eighth grader at Van Wyck Junior High School, uh, right around the corner from here, went to, all the way through Wappinger Central School, I had a dream. I wanted to play football. I wanted to play football so bad in my whole entire life. Growing up, little guy, like three years old, I wanted to play football. I wanted to be a football player. My dad wouldn't let me try out for to play football because they played on Sundays. He's like, you're going to church, son. You're not playing football on Sunday. Until you got to junior high, and then they played on afternoons, Friday afternoons. And so I could try out for the team. And I tried out for the Van Wyck Indians at the time. The Van Wyck, I tried out for the football team as a running back and got cut. Got cut. In fact, I was the last guy to get cut. And I'll never forget, as long as I live, just, just broke my heart. And the, the uh, coach called me into his office, and he said, Mr. Williamson, I'm sorry. You don't have enough talent. You don't have enough ability. We're going to have to cut you from the team. And I was like, okay, coach. He's like, but I want to make you an offer. Would you be willing to be the equipment manager? 
And I just wanted to play football more than anything. And just to be close to football, I said, yes, I'll be the equipment manager. And he said, I'll tell you what else, I'll give you a jersey. I said, absolutely. So I got to wear a jersey on Jersey Friday with the rest of the team. Everyone thought I was on the team, but I was really the equipment manager. And I'll never forget it. One day, probably a week or two into practice, I'd already set up, I brought the medical kit out and set up all the field and everything, brought the bag of footballs out, and, and the team was stretching, and there was one other equipment manager, and I picked up the football, and I started throwing the football with the other equipment managers, back and forth like that, and uh, the coach blew his whistle, and I thought, oh, here we go, it's time for practice, and I'm just throwing the football, and he walks over to me and goes, Mr. Williamson, put that ball down, and I'm like, oh my gosh, he said, what do you think you're doing? He's screaming at me. And I said, I set up the field. We're ready for practice. I'm just having a catch. Is there something wrong with that? And he goes, do you realize you're throwing that football 20 yards farther than my starting quarterback? You're embarrassing my starting quarterback right now. And I said, what? He said, who taught you how to throw a football like that? I said, no one really. He said, you're going to be my starting quarterback next season. I want you to put your head in the huddle every time I call a play in practice. Ask any question that you have. You are going to be the starting quarterback for Van White next year. How about that? I never knew I could throw a football. I had no idea. But I had a dream in my heart. And my dream in my heart was to play football. I thought it was to be a running back. It was actually to be a quarterback. And I ended up in high school being a captain of the, the football team at John Jay High School. And so I share all that to say it was because of an unfortunate event that it uncovered a gift and ability that I didn't even know I had. It was a disadvantage. I didn't have speed for a running back, but I had an arm for a quarterback. And I think there's so many, I've seen that over and over and over in my life. And I think it's the same for every single one of us. So many times, as we talked about last week, about reframing our problems. If we'll reframe our problems from God's perspective, you know what we'll discover? that God has actually set us up to be exactly where he wants us to be, to fulfill the purpose that he created you and me for. It, it may not be what we see happening, but in actuality, we're actually following in the path that God has for each and every one of us. And so I want to go back to 2 Samuel, but actually a little bit earlier, we've been talking about Benaiah over the last few weeks, but I want to look at a different man one of David's mighty men, named Eliezer. And so if you have your Valley Christian Church app, go ahead and follow that. Uh, go ahead and open that up, and you can follow along. We'll also be putting the scriptures on the screen as well as we work through it. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 9, as we talk about fighting for your dreams. Here it is, uh, 2 Samuel 23, verse 9. It says, next to him was Eleazar, the son of Dodiah, a Ohiot, 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 that's hard to say that. As one of those three mighty warriors, he was in the top three mighty warriors that David had. He was with David when they taunted the Philistines. What? I mean, King David was a, he was a mess. David went out and taunted the Philistines. <laughs> you guys are nothing. And Eliezer is right there with him. Eliezer, they're taunting the enemy. These guys are like crazy warriors. They're like, bring it on. They're taunting the Philistines. Eliezer was right by David's side when he's taunting the Philistines, gathered at Pastamimim for battle. Then the Israelites retreated. Now think about this. They gathered. Eliezer's there. David's there. Excuse me. They're taunting the Philistines. And then they retreat. And Eliezer somehow doesn't realize they're retreating 
and he's left there all by himself. And the whole rest of David's army has retreated. Look at what happens. It goes on, it says, But Eliezer stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. Think about that. They taunted these guys. They got them all wound up. The Philistines are frothing at the mouth. The rest of David's soldiers, they retreat. Eliezer's there, and he just goes great. Boom, boom, boom. One against hundreds and hundreds. And he fought the Philistines, and he struck them down till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eliezer, but only to strip the dead, only to get their equipment and things like that. Eliezer killed every one of them. Every one of them. Incredible, valiant, courageous story. This is why Eliezer, even in David's list of mighty men at the end of his life that we just read there, it's from 2 Samuel 23, Eliezer is higher. He's in the top three of the most elite warriors that served King David took on the whole Philistine army and killed them all to the point that they had to pry the sword out of his hand because his hand became one with the sword. See, here's the thing that I've discovered in my life. Destiny isn't revealed in sunny days. It's usually revealed in the darkest hours. That's when you discover who you really are. It's not when the good times, it's not when everything's going great and wonderful. It's through the the difficulties, the challenges in life that you really begin to discover your destiny. Destiny isn't revealed when everything's going our way. Destiny is revealed when everyone else retreats around us and we're just left there alone to stand our ground. That's when we discover the purpose that God created you for and created me for. Destiny isn't just revealed in our natural gifts and abilities. It's also revealed in the skills that you have to work extra hard to cultivate in your life. And going back to my own story, you know, okay, I could throw a football pretty good when I was in eighth grade. But you know what? I had to keep practicing, working hard, throwing. I used to try to throw 100 passes after practice every single day. Once practice was over and the rest of the team left, my best friend was a wide receiver, and I'd throw 100 more passes to him. You gotta work to develop those gifts, those abilities, those talents that God has given to you. And so that's what I wanna share, especially with the fathers on this Father's Day weekend, four ways to fight for your dream. Four ways to fight for your dream that we can find in the scripture. And there's probably more ways than that, but four ways to fight for the dream that God's given to you. Here, here's number one, and, and, and these aren't real complex, but they're very, very important. First thing is this, define the win. You have to define the win. In other words, if we're going to be a success, what does success look like? You have to define the win. I think it was Billy Graham who, who said, if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. You have to do What does success look like? What does it look what, This is the dream that God's put in my heart. But what does that look like? How do I know that I'm on target? How do I know that I'm moving in the right direction? You have to define the win. Because here's the thing. If you and I succeed in the wrong things, we failed. You know it's possible to succeed in the wrong thing? Do you know Satan would love nothing more than you to be a success 
in something that doesn't matter. A success in anything besides what God created you for. So long as you don't fulfill the purpose that God planned for your life. We can succeed at the wrong things, and that means we failed. We can fail at the right thing, and you know what? Still succeed. Even if we fail at the right thing. Even if we fail. But at least we're headed in the right direction. I'd rather fail at the right thing than to succeed at doing the wrong thing. Thomas Merton uh, was a Roman Catholic monk. He put it this way. People may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find once they reached the top, the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. People can spend their whole life trying to climb the ladder of success and they get at the top and like, oh, uh, I succeeded at the wrong thing. The ladder's leaning against the wrong wall. That's not a success. That's not a success at all. So let me give you kind of a personal definition of success, okay? This isn't in your notes, but I just want to share this. My personal definition of success, here it is. Success is when those who know you best respect you the most. Success is when those who know you best respect you the most. So for me, at the end of the day, I want to be famous with my family. I want my wife and my children to say, you know what? You're a success in our eyes. Those who know me the best. Because, you know, you, you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool those who are closest to you. Those are the ones who really know you the best. They're the ones that really know what, what, what Greg's like on the inside. And so that's how I define success. See, the reality is you don't die when your heart stops beating. You die when your heart stops skipping a beat in pursuit of the dream that God's given to you. That dream of success for my life, I'll only know that in the last beat of my heart. When my wife and my kids and my family say, you're a success because we respect you so much. Because the man that you were consistently, day in and day out, day in and day out, the husband that you were, the father that you were, Hopefully one day the grandfather that you are, day in and day out. Every one of David's mighty men was willing to die for him. Think about that. Every one of his men were willing to take a bullet for him. Why? Because they had a dream that God, given, that they had, that God had given to them. Do you know what that dream was? That David would become the king of Israel. That's why Benaiah went up against the lion and killed him on a snowy day. That's why Eleazar took on the whole Philistine army just by himself. God had given those mighty men 300 a dream to see David on the throne of Israel. By the way, just a, a little a parenthesis about a dream that God has for you. It's never just for you. It's always for those around you. God-given dreams are never self-serving dreams. They're never selfish dreams. They're always for the benefit of others. Why did Eliezer go up against the Philistines? Why did he stand his ground while the rest of the army retreated? Because God had given him a dream. I want to see David on the throne of Israel. They wanted to see the crown on David's throne. I don't know what the specifics are of the dream that God's given to you, or maybe you're looking for the dream that God's given to you, the plan and purpose that he created you for. 
I, I do know one dream that we can all agree on. God's given to every single one of us. This is God's dream for your life. This is God's dream for my life. And that is to bring glory to him in every area of our life. That's his dream for you. That's his dream for me as well. That, that in everything that I do, everything that I say, everything that I work at, everything that I give my energy, my time, my resources to, that I would give him glory and not take any of that for myself. That's God's dream. And it takes faith to live that. It takes faith to follow a dream. It takes faith to define the win and say, this is, what I, this is why I believe I'm on this planet. This is why God put me here. You're not here by accident. It takes faith because a dream, no one else can see that dream or hold that dream in their heart that you're holding. In fact, this is the definition of faith. We've talked about faith in this series a good bit, but the best definition of faith is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's what faith is. Faith is being confidence of things that we, we can't even see it. It's a dream. It's a dream. It takes faith to fight for our dreams. We have to know what we're fighting for. And you know what? When it comes to fighting for a dream, I think the best example that we could find anywhere in the Bible is Jesus himself. Jesus fought for a dream. Let's look at what the Bible tells us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the example of defining the win. Jesus defined the win. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, For the joy set before him, that's Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. For the joy set before him. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? For the joy set before him, he went through the crucifixion. He, he went through the agony of his beard being pulled out and the whip across his back and carrying his cross and then nine-inch nails being nailed through his feet and through his hands. For the joy set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? You were the joy. You were the dream. He was thinking about you. The love that he has for you. That's the joy. To bring, to, to make a bridge by laying his life down so that you could have a relationship with God. You're the joy. I'm the joy. For the joy set before him. You can almost just put your name in there. For Greg set before him. He endured the cross. Scorning the shame. You're the joy. He defined the win, and the win was you. That's the success. You're the success. That's how much you mean to him. He had a clear vision of his end goal, you. Your salvation was that joy that was set before him. And evidently, you're so valuable to him, he was willing to go to the cross for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how he defined the win. Success for Jesus wasn't overthrowing the Roman Empire. He could have done that just like that. Called on angels, boom. Totally destroyed the Roman Empire. But his goal was conquering, wasn't conquering an earthly kingdom. The end game for Jesus was bringing you into God's family. That's how he defined success. 
The end game for Jesus was not only bringing you into God's family, but then you responding by playing your part in God's plan on this planet. That's how Jesus defined success, defined the win. And that's exactly what he did. So first, we have to define the win. The second thing, if we're going to fight for our dreams, is this. We have to develop daily. We've got we've to take a step every single day towards our dream. Every single day, we've got to take a step towards our dream. Develop daily. You know, dreams are like, uh, you know what dreams are like? Dreams are like uh, a box of Legos. Do you know Legos? Who invented these things anyway? I, I, I used to play with Legos when I was a kid. You know, Legos. Uh, who, obviously, whoever invented these didn't have kids. Because if you're a parent and, and you've ever heard your child crying at night and you run in there to see how they're doing and you step on a Lego, you, you know this is a torture device. This is a torture device and you're barefoot when you step on that Lego. But, but dreams are like Legos. What are Legos? You see the box. You see the picture of what it's going to look like. Wow, the Millennium Falcon, you know, or something like that. Oh, my goodness, the Millennium Falcon. You open it up, and it's just in pieces. Where do you start? What do you do? You just begin to connect one block to another block to another block. And then you look at the picture, and then you connect another block. And then you look at the picture again, and you connect another block. And if you keep working block by block by block, it's no longer a picture. Now you have it right in front of you. Same thing with the dream that God's placed in your heart. You, you've got to work on it every day. You've got to let it develop daily in your life. See, Here's something that I've discovered about life and about dreams. Rarely are dreams about accomplishing the dream. Most of the time for God, what God wants, accomplishing dreams are more about the person you become in the process. The stuff that happens inside, flashback again, and, and I'm not lifting myself up as any wonderful person because I'm not now and I wasn't then. But as an eighth grader, when I got cut from that team, I could have gotten upset. I could decide I'm a victim. I don't deserve this. I deserve better than this. And I could have stormed out of that office. And I dare say I never would have played one play of football in my life. But instead, I think it was God's grace. I kept my heart right. And truth be told, I held back the tears. And then that coach said, but I've got an offer to make to you. Would you be the equipment manager? And it changed my life. It changed the trajectory of my life. It changed the path of all the friends that I would meet as a result of not only playing football, but coaching football as well. So much that I, I never even knew it was hanging in the balance that hot summer day in that coach's office right before the start of eighth grade. Develop daily. Develop daily. Just like those logos, you have to, uh, just like those, that Lego set, you've got to develop. You've got to get into shape. If, if you want to get into shape, what do you do? You start changing how you eat today. Today, every single day, changing some exercise a little bit more. How do you get out of debt? You 
You just start paying it down slowly, dollar by dollar, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Daily develop and work on your dream. How do you, how do you expand your business? One step at a time. How do you get that promotion at work? By working hard one project at a time. Daily develop. See, if you keep doing the right things day in and day out, then one day God is going to show up, and you know what? He's going to show off too. God's going to show up, and he's going to show off, and he's going to say, look. Look look at what that dad's doing down there. Look, Look at how he's laying his life down for his wife and for his kids. Look at how he's putting them first. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to bless him. I'm just going to bless him. Look at how hard he's doing. Look at how faithful he is. Look at how, look at how he's, he's looking to me for wisdom and guidance and for direction for his family day in and day out. When he doesn't feel like being a great dad, he still is a great dad. When the emotions aren't there, when it, when it doesn't feel all the, the, the butterflies in his stomach for his wife, but he's still loving her. Watch how I'm going to bless him. Daily develop in order to hit your dream, to see your dream come true. Here's the third thing that we have to do to fight for our dreams. Select your squad. (laughs) You gotta select your squad, your friends. As I said before, rarely in life, I don't even believe, if it's a God dream, it's never for just you. It's never isolated for just you. It's always for others. The dream is always for others. So you have to select your squad. This word with, we, we see it in this verse we're going to look at in just a minute. Look back on this word with. Let's just do it. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 9. Let's go back to where we were. Look at what it says. Next to him was Eliezer. Next to David was Eliezer. As one of the three mighty wars, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines and gathered uh, there for battle. He was with him. Let me ask you a question. Who are you with? Because your dream is not just for yourself. Who are you with? Eliezer wasn't acting by himself. Eliezer wasn't some kind of you know, rebel nomad, just, just you know, I'm just going to do what I want when I want when I want for myself. He was with David. They were side by side. He was in the right place at the right time with the right people. That's why I say you've got to select your squad. Who's your squad? Who are your friends? Who's your circle of friends? You know, Jesus had a squad. He selected every single one of them. Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Thomas, every single one of them. He called the disciples to himself. He had his squad. He knew who was with him. He, he shared his life with them. Who are you sharing your life with? Who in your life have you given permission to to call you out on character issues in your life? Dad? Or are you just an authority to yourself? Who have you given a right to? What circle of friends are you giving a right to? If you see something in my life, because we all have blind spots, don't we? We have blind spots. We don't even know our own abilities and talents God's given to us. Who's your board of overseers? Let me put it that way. Do you know I have a board of overseers? I voluntarily, as the pastor of this church, wrote that into the constitution and bylaws of this church, how I can be fired. 
And I have a, a board of overseers, men outside of this, this church that are ministers as well, and they regularly check in on me. And I share my life with them and their character and the things that I struggle with. And when I'm facing a big decision, I don't in one minute think I can make that decision on my own or even for my family. I go to men who have nothing to gain and say, do you think I'm crazy? What do you think about this? And sometimes they're like, Greg, you're nuts. That's the worst decision you've ever, that's the worst idea you've ever had. And I haven't done it because I trust them. I've invited them into my life. Who are you with? Who's with you? Who do you give that access to? Or do you just believe you're God's mighty man of faith and power for the hour and you never make a mistake? Don't be so foolish, Dad. Eliezer was with David. The disciples were with Jesus. Who are you with? Who are you with? This past week, my wife Susie and I were down in Atlanta for a, for a summit of leaders from all over the United States. And what I just shared about having that board of overseers that I voluntarily created and submit to, I, I, I've got friends from all over the United States, all over the world, literally, that, that have asked me to be on that kind of board for them as well. Because it's just, there's safety. The Bible says there's safety in a multitude of counselors, of getting advice and input from a multitude of people, people that know you, the people that, that, that know what you're all about. And I was talking to one of my friends and he was sharing with me some concerns about another friend. And he actually said this to me, and it broke my heart. He said, Greg, you know what? He said, I think you're the only person on the face of the earth that he'll even ever listen to. This is a man of God. This is a man who's in charge of a huge ministry. And those around just see huge blind spots. And he's like, Greg, you're the only one, if anyone, that he'll even listen to. We're not supposed to live our lives like that. That's not the example that Jesus showed. That's not the example of the disciples. We're supposed to be in community with one another and share our lives with others. So it's very, very important that we select our squad God is in the business of building networks and building communities and building families. So it's so important that you get around the right people. That's why we have small groups in this church, community groups and short-term groups, even growth track, all these for people to begin to share their lives with one another because no man is ever meant to be an island. We're meant to share our lives for this word, accountability so that there's accountability. And it saves us from a world of trouble and a world of bad decisions. Select your squad wisely. Here's the fourth thing that we need to do to fight. Fight for our dreams, define the win, develop daily, select your squad. And here's the final thing, fight for favor. We need to fight for favor. So many times, so we were down at this church that was host in this, this conference that we're at, this summit. It's a church down in Atlanta, Word of Faith Christian Center. 19,000 members of this church. 19,000 members. The church building is larger than our Poughkeepsie Gallery Mall, the entire thing. 19,000. 
And it's so easy, you know. Uh, you see people walk in there and like, And you hear leaders say things like this, must be nice, must be nice. Do you know what I was so conscious and aware of? I had no idea of the sacrifice, the work, the pain, the energy, the toil that the, lead, the pastor of that church and the leaders of that church had to go through for that. That, that, that building was just a, is the tip of the iceberg. It's just kind of a tangible expression. It's the, it's the finished thing, but you don't see all the Legos step by step by step by step. You just see the finished product. And that's why I think it's so important sometimes that, that we, we realize we have to fight for God's favor in our lives. See, let me put it this way. Success is sweaty. Success is not glamorous. Success is gritty. God is looking for, for men and women, and on this Father's Day weekend, dads that are willing to be gritty and grimy, to do the work of being the fathers our kids need, that, that, that are willing, no matter what happens, I'm going to be faithful husband. I'm going to be a faithful father. Gritty willing to work and get dirty for the dream God's put in your heart for your marriage and for your family. I don't believe in magic, but I do believe in God's favor. Favor is what God can do for you that you can't do for yourself. I believe in favor. I also believe in anointing. The Bible talks about anointing. Anointing is supernatural gifting beyond your own human ability. It's divine revelation beyond human knowledge. It's supernatural power beyond human strengths. But God won't give those things to someone who's lazy. God won't give his favor and his anointing to someone who's not willing to work. We don't earn it. But this is where Jesus says, he who's faithful in little, what? Will be given much. God is looking for those that are willing to get sweaty, dirty, and gritty and do an honest day's work. I say this to the staff all the time. We're going to do everything that we possibly can do. We're going to work hard, and then we're going to take a step back and let God do what only he can do. And you know what? He always does. He always does. We have to fight for God's favor. We have to pray like it all depends on God. We gotta work like it all depends on him and we do everything that we can. We have to fight for our dream until our hand freezes to the sword. Talking about Eliezer, it kind of reminds me, I love history, particularly American history. I can't help but think about Susie and I have probably been to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, uh, I, I don't even know, 10, 15 times uh, in our married life, just walking the battleground there. And I can't help but think about Joshua Chamberlain. Maybe you know the story about what happened in Gettysburg, in the Battle of Gettysburg, July the 2nd, 1863. Joshua Chamberlain, who was a, a 
leader in the Union Army had 300 soldiers as he stood atop of a, a little, uh, I forgot the name of the, the mountain exactly that they were on there, but the Confederate soldiers were coming up. They had the high ground. And the Confederate soldiers, literally Chamberlain with only 300 soldiers, Union soldiers, stood against five different charges of the Confederate Army to them. He looked around after the fifth time. He only had 80 men left. Only 80 men left, and every one of his soldiers only had one more round in their gun. And their lookout said, they're getting ready to charge again. That moment, not knowing what to do. Chamberlain, later on in his life, he said it this way, I decided that day, if I was going to die, it wasn't going to be with a bullet in my back. And so he told those 80 men, fix bayonets. He drew his sword, and he declared, charge! And they ran down off the side of the mountain towards that Confederate army that was gathering together. And in five minutes, those 80 Union soldiers took 4,000 Confederate prisoners. 4,000 in five minutes. Read most historians, they'll tell you this. Had they lost the high ground that day, chances are the Confederacy would have gotten the high ground and won the Battle of Gettysburg. If the Confederacy had won the Battle of Gettysburg, the Confederacy would have won the Civil War. If the Confederacy had won the Civil War, we'd be a divided nation to this day, and slavery would still be legal to this day. One man, with his soldiers, in that moment of courage, charge. Charge like your life depended on it. Charge. Fight for favor. Incredible story. It reminds me so much of Eliezer. Jesus put it this way. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you understand what that means? That means we're supposed to be on the offensive. Dads, not sitting back idly by, not just kind of being a couch potato with the remote control and the only time our family hears something from us is when we need them to refill our drink. That's not what it means to be a dad. That's not what it means to be a father. I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How do we fight for our dreams? We charge. We charge forward. We're called to play offensive with our lives and making the most of the time, the talent, and the treasures that God's given to us. So let me say this to you, dads. Charge for your marriage. Charge for your children. Charge for your dream. Charge for your career. Charge forward in your relationship with God. That's the way that your dreams come true. That's the way that you fight for the dream that God's given to you. Quit running away from what you're afraid of. Quit sitting back and waiting for something to happen. Fight until your hand freezes to the sword. And at the end of your life, your wife and your children will look you in the eyes and say, you're a success. We love you. We respect you. You showed us how to charge forward after the dream that God placed in your heart. 
I'm going to ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this, this, this series, Chase the Lion. Lord, we thank you that it gives us perspective on facing our fears. It gives us perspective on reframing our, our, our problems. It gives us perspective on running to the roar of charging how to fight for the dream that you placed within us. Father, I pray even as we close this series this weekend, Lord, that you would give your dream, especially to dads on this Father's Day weekend, give them a dream of, of, of what you want their marriages to look like, what you want their, their families and their children to look like, what you want their careers to look like. And Father, may we just, each and every one of us, define the win the way that you want us to to find the win of giving you glory, that you get glory in every area of our life and we're not holding anything back. And Lord, may we never run in fear when we face the uncertainty and the difficulties of this life. May we know that you have created us to be victorious and by your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit that we'll charge the gates of hell will not prevail against your plan and your purpose through your church. Thank you, Father. Right now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity, if you're here right now and you've never taken that step, that courageous step of receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today before this service ends. Now, how do, how do I do that, Greg? You may be asking. The Bible says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And, and just as we heard about in the message, that the reason why Jesus went through all that he did was because he defined success in your forgiveness. He defines success in you stepping into the family of God. He defines success by laying his life down and rising again on the three, three days later so that we could receive forgiveness, not based on us ever being good enough on our own, but that he purchased forgiveness for you and for me through his shed blood on the cross. All we have to do is receive that free gift. We'll never be good enough to earn it. We don't deserve it. Salvation and forgiveness is a free gift of God that's bought and paid for through the perfect life of Jesus, his sacrificial death and his resurrection from the dead. So if you've never taken that step, I want to give you an opportunity. Just pray after me in just a second and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, the start of him putting a dream in your life, the real reason that you were created and why you're on this planet. It's so much more. It may be different, but so much more, so much greater than anything you've ever imagined up until this point. So if you've never taken that moment before, I want to invite you just to pray this prayer after me right now, saying, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. I receive what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. Thank you for his sacrifice. I turn from my sins right now 
and I ask you to be the Lord of my life. I believe Jesus died and rose for me. And I receive him as my Lord and my Savior right now. Thank you, Father. Guide me. Direct me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you.